Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. And it feels good. Yes, the Joey Clark Radio Hour is back. I'm back. Troy is back. How you doing, man? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Um, it's been a long, strange uh, journey. Uh, a long week. It's good to take off a week. Gave some perspective to uh, what I do every day. In many ways, and because a lot of people are asking me, well, what do you do? I'm like, I'm talk radio host. I mean, what do you talk about? I'm like, well, politics, a good bit, but life. I mean, all the things you're not supposed to talk about in polite society, religion, sex, politics as well. Though if you're not supposed to talk about politics at a dinner party, when do we talk about politics? Only on television and radio? If I had my way, probably. <laughs> 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 there you go. And uh, it, it, I think it's an art these days to be able to hold a political conversation and not be at each other's throats. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's one conversation. One of Will's good friends who lives in New York City now, but he went to Auburn with Will. And uh, they essentially go way back because of the Tiger hosts. Right, yeah. And the Tiger hosts, like, recruiting organization. But they were good friends for a while, and... He's now very much on the left, but we had great political discussions, intelligent ones, uh, about the economic state of the country and uh, different parts in our history, the United States. It, it was a good, great guy. Um, I, was, I loved Will's friends I had never met before. Uh, and it really was, I was telling you off air, quite an affair because it was not only physically just tiring, because I'm not in my bed, I'm used to my routine. You're traveling. There was the Caroline's father, my new sister-in-law, Will's new wife, uh, really played a gracious host, did a wonderful job. And he, well, for one, we had all these cocktail parties, and I behave myself most of the time, but, I mean, I'm not used to drinking. I just don't that often anymore. So I'm feeling that. I'm feeling just in traveling back yesterday. I got back to Montgomery at 9.15, after waking up at 8 o'clock, 8.30, after two hours sleep. Because Will and the whole crew, and I can't blame them, wanted to go out and have some more fun after the wedding. So I'm not missing this opportunity. I can sleep when I'm dead. And I almost felt dead. But it was a 
you know, ride from Saratoga Springs to Albany, get on the airplane in Albany, fly to Philly, stay at Philly for an hour and a half, get on the plane in Philly, fly to Pensacola, get back to my dad's place in Lillian, about 20 minutes away from Pensacola, and then I drove back three hours from there to here. So I got back last night, and I've been just thinking and processing a lot of what happened. I do have to say it was... uh, it was life-changing in the sense that it didn't hit me that I now have new family members. Like, in a deep way, you think, ah, marriage comes and goes, and brother and sister come and go, but they don't. So much of my childhood and the people I love the dearest are aunts and uncles who married into the family. And to me, they didn't marry in. They did, technically speaking, but they were always there when I was a kid. So, yeah, they're part of the family. And I started to realize, oh, wow, what a big event. What a what, what potential we have to carry the torch and keep the legacy going um, for all of us. But it's also great to just cut up and be in a different town. Uh, number one, we are a little bit slower here in the South. People up there aren't necessarily rude because it's upstate New York, not uh, not the city proper. I think the city maybe get a, gets some it gets a bad rap as well. Not for nothing, right? Right. Um, but all the Uber drivers were awesome. I was telling you about one, and Uber saved us this week. Uber yeah, saved us. Is that us. your first time using rideshare like repeatedly? Yes, and it was great. I mean, it was cheap. It was efficient. Uh, very quick. Needed to go where I needed to go, and didn't take long for them to respond once you hailed them. And all the drivers we had. Pretty much were cool as hell. Like, very talkative and telling me about the city, telling me about their lives. Like, there's one I was telling you about off air that old Jewish guy from the Bronx. He said he lives in AOC's Alexandria Ocasio Cortez district. But when I got in the car, he looked like Bernie Sanders. And he, you know, very, very much the Bronx. I can't do a proper Bronx accent, but uh, he was listening to Michael Savage. And so I, I said, why are you, if you're this, and so we got talking about what I do. And what this week reminded me of is what I think we really do is entertain and inform, but you can't forget uh, the person that you're talking to. I think so often in politics, people want to win so much, win these arguments. This is why actually talking this stuff is an art these days that they forget the person because there's so much at stake or they feel like there's so much at stake. It's one thing if you're a senator, one thing if you're the president or or whatever. Uh, but when you're just, say, like father and son hanging out you know, in the backyard, drinking a couple beers, and you start yelling at each other about Al Gore, why? Like, what are you going to do? No matter who's right. Like, okay, you're right. Is now your opinion going to be upheld in law? Give me a break. I think people take it way too seriously. They, they personalize it way too much. But, of course, when there's a lot of drinking going on, weird things can happen. Yeah. And also, when you are a transplant, you're the foreigner in a strange, strange land, uh, there's a lot that can happen. Uh, I'll give the specific example I go out on the town to do some reconnaissance because we held the bachelor party Thursday night. And this is at my brother's request. He just wanted a night out on the town with his brother and uh, brothers from another mother and really wanted uh, to just kind of, you know, drink, have a good time, what he used to do in Auburn. And, and that's what we did. So 
Wednesday night, the night before, I did a little reconnaissance. Where are the bars? What's the scene like? These sorts of things. And somehow I ended up at, at one bar, and I won't give all the dirty details, but uh, I meet these two young women, and I think it wasn't like, this is my role tonight. It's more like I'm just doing reconnaissance. They're like, you want to do shots? Sure, sure. I'm doing ride-sharing. No risk of much of anything bad happening. And this beautiful girl, she's like, a, she's got to be a 10, 9 or a 10, man, if I can put it in blunt, crude terms like that. Yeah, on the, on uh, the, on the 5 scale? Yeah, on the 5 scale, yeah. 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 Because, you know, that's how simple men are. We just scale them. On a, on a on a number scale, mm-hmm. and like that's how women, that's how we find women attractive. Oh, give me a break! It's, to a degree, that's true, but we're a little more complicated than that. Give us credit. It's not that simple, folks. Not that simple. Sometimes it is. Yeah, but I'm talking to her, and then it goes from just talking to her to her realize I, it's after I showed her my driver's license. What? Yes, for some reason she wanted to see my driver's license to make sure I was from Alabama. I'm like, you can't tell. Like, I don't have a, a truly distinct Southern accent, but I do have a draw. Right. So you can tell from that. And, you know, but here's my driver's license, and it's clearly got the, you know, the Alabama printed on top. And from that moment, she proceeded to, like, it was, it was on. And it wasn't my interpretation of it being on. It was on. I'm getting groped front, back, all sorts of stuff. I'm like, wow. I'll put it simple, folks. Like, uh, nothing like that has ever happened to me, and then there's no, you know, afterwards. Yeah. But she's doing these things, and I'm reciprocating because, hell, I'm free to do what I want, and it felt good and was fun. And all of a sudden, like, she flipped a switch, didn't say anything, and just, like, hailed an Uber and left. Like, oh, did I do something? Did I say something? wonder if she gave me a fake name. Looked her up. She's engaged. Ouch. Yeah. I was like, oh, no. What did I do? What what did I do by showing this person my driver's... I was the forbidden... I was the temptation in the garden that evening? How dare I? What's wrong with you, Joey? And also, given that it was my brother's wedding weekend, to see somebody engaged engaged in that behavior was like, oh, no. See, I... You know? I'm hopeful here. You're hopeful? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe you were some strange. Yeah. But maybe you were bad tasting fruit. And she said, you know what? I know which juice is worth the squeeze. <laughs> and that's not an affront to you. So if I'd been a little tastier, then she just would have gone... In my opinion, Joey, you're a tasty dish. Oh, thank you for that, sir. Different strokes for different folks. Indeed, indeed. But, I mean, that was just one of the weird things that happened. I mean, most of the weekend went off perfectly. That does sound equal parts joyous and also frightening. Yeah, and just sad. Like, I woke up the next day going, that was weird. And just sad. (laughs) Like, I don't want to, this is not what the week's supposed to be. Weird and sad. But as the families started coming in um, from both sides, and this is what was so emotional, I just started seeing aunts and uncles and uh, people I hadn't seen regularly because they've moved from Montgomery in years. And so to like. His father's Schenecki there? Yeah, he was the one who was like, he ran the wedding. Oh. Yeah, he ran the proceedings. He's a nice guy. He really is a nice guy. And got to have a long, great talk with him at the rehearsal dinner. Um, but then my Uncle Mark is there. Um, Uncle Scott is there. 
my grandfather Ron is there. Uncle Dave and Aunt Karen on my dad's side are there. Cousins I hadn't seen because, again, they'd moved from Birmingham and Philly and all this stuff. They're all there. So the family, the whole gang's back together. Whitney? Yeah, Whitney. It was okay. reminding me of uh, of my childhood, seeing the whole gang get back together. And then, then you start meeting people on the other side of the family, hitting it off with them. And, and of course, because the, the alcohol, the adult beverages are flowing, people loosen up and they start cutting up and you just have a good time. Um, but I didn't realize that I would feel this way. But as it started getting into the day of the wedding, the, that morning, really it was happening Friday night into, as I'm trying to go to sleep and into the morning, I feel really tense. And I'm not even the one getting married. But the day, luckily the wedding went until the evening, and we're all just kind of taking it easy in the morning. And we were making sure we got all our stuff correctly. And they get married at this beautiful uh, place called the Mansion Inn. Yeah. And uh, it, somebody described it in the wedding party. It might have been Cully or somebody, or Gray, whatever. Um, it's like we're getting dressed, gentlemen, in Ron Burgundy's bedroom. Like, <laughs> there was rich mahogany everywhere. There was even rich mahogany on the toilet seat. It was fantastic. Well, that's that's odd. Yeah. No, it was just an old school, like something you pretty much will only see in upstate New York. It was okay. Like an old school mansion. Very, very nice uh, venue for the wedding. And the wedding was held out on the lawn uh, behind the back porch. And uh, it went beautifully. She came out and Will came out to one of my uh, favorite pieces of classical music. If I know there might be some people out there. It's like not technically classical. It's a romantic or whatever it is. I don't know. But it's instrumental. I consider it classical music. You probably recognize it from some of our favorite movies. Claire de Lune? Mm-hmm. So she walked down the aisle to this. Are you playing Claire de Lune right now? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, I'm playing it. Oceans. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's walking down the aisle. And as my... Uncle Bill, Monsignor Bill Skinecki. He's a Monsignor now. Yeah. Oh, and he's gotten a new title, too. It's another story for another day, but uh, like they just keep trying to move him up in the ranks. He starts talking, and that's when like I start making weird faces, like stop it, tear ducts. Like, I've been working out trying to get you know muscles stronger, but how do you work out your eyes and your tear ducts? Like, to not... Like, how do you be stoic? Fake sneeze. Fake sneeze, mm-hmm. okay. Because your eyes always water when you sneeze, right? Well, and it was also bringing me back because there's just, like, most weddings, and he told us this the night before, he's like, perfect weddings make me nervous. So there will be things that aren't supposed to happen that will happen. And the first thing that happened is we didn't have any wireless mics or clip-on mics for him. So he's like, Joey, here's a corded mic. I need you to be able to, when she's walking down the aisle, pick it up, hold it behind your back, hand it to me when I need it, take it back when I need it. I've got two different binders. I need you to hold one. So I'm sitting there essentially as I'm playing the best man, also playing altar boy to my uncle the priest. Nice. You know, it reminded me, he does like these, he'll do the to-go mass. Yeah. You ever been to one of those? Uh, very short. There's a, the homilies, usually skip the homily, well, right? Or you could, first two readings. He's done it several times since I've, I've been around where essentially he's got like a to-go kit for like the Eucharist and the chalice and all this stuff. Oh, no. So you could like be camping and have mass out in the woods. Wow. Yeah. 
And so it was reminding me of those occasions. Do you have to bless the... Uh the it's container our, that the chalice is in? No, it's already blessed. Okay. It just, you know, he took it out of the out of the church. But anyway, um, but her, Caroline's uncle, I believe his name is Otto, is, I believe, a Protestant minister. So both of them spoke after the reading. So you got a little mix of Protestant and Catholic, like marriage bringing people together. <laughs> and uh, it, it went off beautifully. And I do have to say, uh, Will... And Caroline are very thoughtful people, and it gives me a lot of hope for what they're doing. And it makes me think of, like, man, when am I going to get my stuff together? Are you asking me to give you... No, I'm just putting it out there. Where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice pun. Nice, nice pun. That was uh, That was done. truly unintentional. Yeah. That was... Uh, that's some gentle comedy there, bro. Thank you. But yeah, it, it went off so well. The reception went off well. My speech, I'm not going to toot my own horn too much, but apparently people loved it. No, you have this Sicilian woman doing that for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were telling me about this speech, and you know, I, I wouldn't put it past you to come up with something super impressive, but based on what you're saying, uh, radio has really helped you yeah. in, in public speaking for sure. Yeah. Not to mention the content of the speech. Yeah, and essentially what I had to do, and folks who have been listening to me on these airways for a while know, in 2015, my mom uh, succumbed to brain cancer. And, you know, as I'm sitting there, I'll, I'll go back to the ceremony, like watching my Uncle Bill do the proceedings, my mother's older brother. Like, I can, like, see her face in his face, that sort of moment. And, yeah, mm. that's why I make it the, like, oh, no. Ah, yeah. Ah, look at Caroline. She's so beautiful. Look at her. Not not your uncle. But you got to pay attention to your uncle to hand him the damn microphone. Anyway, get the cues. And I'll, also, I had a little trouble grabbing the ring because it was her ring that Will had to put on her, and it was a little slight. And it's like trying to pick a penny up off the desk. Yeah, I know exactly so, what you mean. But I'm trying to pick it up off. Oh, by the way, it drizzled a little bit outside, too. The rain subsided. We thought, oh, no, we got rain coming in. And then it went away. It was damp. So it's like a damp binder with the rings and all this stuff. And I was feeling the pressure. But as soon as they kissed, man and wife, things are going great. And I knew in the best man speech I had to bring up, uh, well, for lack of a better word, not calling it, it as the elephant in the room. And uh, I did so without, you know, ugly crying or going into immense tears. And I don't know how you did it, man. You're a stronger person than me. I would have broke. Well, it's because I processed that the night before. That's when then. That, I would suggest anybody, if you have to tell somebody, or even if it's one-on-one -on -one or people in public, something very emotional, heartfelt, in a way, traumatic, uh, say it like you're going to, to the person or the crowd you want to, and just let it out then. Like, and do it. <laughs> I did it alone in my room. <laughs> um, so I, I just worked through that, worked through that, worked through that, and then realized as I was doing it, this is important. And that's kind of the strength that gave me to, to carry on. Yeah. This is really important. Uh, get through it. And I choked up a little bit, but I, I did get through it. I knew where I wanted to go. I knew what I wanted to uh, to wish them. And I wish them all the best. They're going to honeymoon in... Vancouver Island, British Columbia for a week, and that should be an amazing experience. Uh, but yeah, the week is done. And being away for a week, I do have to say this. I didn't miss the grind. No? Yeah, I missed 
Alabama at a certain point. I missed my own bed. I missed doing the show. I missed a lot of the friends and people I've made on air here for a while. But I did not miss the grind. I enjoyed, like, I mean, I spent a whole hour just sleeping in a hammock. What would have normally been showtime in, like, perfect 73-degree weather with no humidity. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was great. We never have that here. Yeah, oh, no, we never have that. Saratoga Springs, at this time of year, much better weather than Alabama. Mosquitoes? Hmm? Mosquitoes? No, not really. There were, the, if there were, they bought so many citronella candles. And he was like, do we need to go get more tiki torches? I'm like, I thought those were out since Charlottesville, Peter. I'm like, <laughs> huh? Oh, oh, oh. Consider know, me peanut butter and jealous. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good Lord. Like, why did I invite you on all this gentle comedy? Uh, you would like my new brother-in-law, Gray. He was doing that all weekend. Really? Oh, making puns left and right. So much so that all of us were like, I just kept saying, so you're doing that on porpoise. Okay, sure. Yeah. Did you say porpoise? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was throwing it back at him. But it's just, uh, it's it's life-changing. So I'm a little tired. I'm a little verklempt here, but... It felt good, and I'm processing it all about uh, what next steps are. Certainly emotionally Yeah, exhausted. that's exactly. Emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted. Um, but I'm enjoying being back here and, and being able to, I don't know, process next steps. Because this was the big thing this year, as soon as I knew it was going to happen in June. Yeah. So now life goes to the, the little things, you know, getting into a new apartment and then ramping up into the politics and all the events coming up. There are going to be Democratic primary debates that I plan on watching. Oh, I plan on watching and like a comedian watch it, like Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David look at a you know a convenience store. I'm just going to find the humor in it because when you look at the clown car of everybody running in the Democratic Party, it is going to be quite a uh, a crap show. What's it called on air when you press a button and it makes a sound? A hotkey. Yeah. Do you have a hotkey for the uh, that Larry David show on HBO? Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah. Do you have that, that music? We might have that music. Yeah. You should have that hotkey for yeah. the speeches and debates that are about to occur. Actually, I have it. You, you mean this one? Oh, so that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that would work very well. Like we've got uh, Joe Biden over here. Uh, Mr. Biden, what's your policy? I promise you, the president has a big stick. Goodness. The guy is so gaffro. And Neil Smith, an old butt buddy. Are you here, Neil? Neil, I miss you, man. I miss you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Pepper, and thank you, Chancellor, or Dr. Paper, and thank you, Chancellor. I guess what I'm trying to say, folks, is hold on to your butts. Yeah, it's going to be uh, quite a wild ride. And also, we have a we have a president who, well, isn't going to shut up. Like. Traditional, conventional knowledge. Yeah. Like, he is going to be live-tweeting while these debates will be going on. So while they're sparring amongst each other, he's going to be, like, sticking his nose in. I would love to see a debate moderator go, Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, senators, governors, uh, former Vice President Biden, we just have a tweet 
sent out by the President of the United States that he has a question for you. They won't do that. But why are you all such losers with low energy? See, if they did, that would be the perfect time for them to eviscerate him in their own echo chamber. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's what they're going to do. They're going to be a crowd that wants to hear Trump bashing. They're going to go hard in the paint on that. I think that's why Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas has uh, been rising in the polls. Because she's just decided, because of the Pocahontas thing, um, I've got to do these big, bold, in my opinion, ridiculous policy proposals. I've got to go really hard at Donald Trump. That's what the Democratic base will eat up. But what I'm seeing now is the same dynamic that played out with Hillary. That Joe Biden's the front runner, the presumed front runner. And he's the guy above it all. And he's the elder statesman. And everything's going to work out just fine. (laughs) 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 But as soon as you get Joe Biden on that stage... Somebody like Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris is going to say, why are you, why are you groping and sniffing women's hair? That's probably not what they're going to say. But there's so many policies he's supported in the past. Uh, I think you could even go after him about his greatest asset. And that, I think, could be a good uh, strategy, take his strength and turn it into a weakness. Criticize his role he played in the Obama administration. Like, point out that he wasn't always a good messenger for the president and essentially he was uh, the weak point in the administration you can make those claims in many ways and also democrats lead up we want the obama's keep obama legacy back but i think there are also a lot of like say bernie bros that are tired of that crap they they want to move on they want to become more progressive and it didn't really work for hillary clinton in my opinion i served with obama and we're essentially going to do what obama did but then also you know break the glass ceiling with the first female president and i don't know if that's really going to work i well you know i can only speak for myself here but as soon as she starts talking i'm not listening <laughs> hillary it just stops yeah i stop paying attention to what she's saying and i wonder how someone made a marionette so lifelike. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying not to <laughs> the howl and laughter at that because I just got it. But I, I just find the whole the whole presidential process we have now is so absurd. And that's why I'm going to have to approach it with comedy folks, really thinking about the future. That where how did we get to this point where it really is a ridiculous symbolic popularity contest for the most powerful office in the world, mm-hmm. uh, and also the the cult of personality built up around the presidency? I've heard folks talk about Trump derangement syndrome, and I'm like, yeah, sure, I've seen those folks, I mean, you've seen those folks, uh, but there was Obama derangement syndrome, there was Bush derangement syndrome. I think it really did start with Clinton derangement syndrome. But correct me if I'm wrong, folks. Maybe those of you who lived through the 80s are people who just viscerally hated Reagan, where they could never have a good thing to say about the guy. Who knows? I don't know when this began. Part of me thinks that all this talk of it all used to be so good is wrong. Uh, Maybe that golden age thinking is just wrong from the get-go, and it's always been this divided. And one thing that I don't appeal to and don't find, well, just don't find it factual, 
is that things used to be so good, like the 50s and the 60s, after the war, and now it's so bad, like for the little guy. And that's actually what Trump ran on. It's what Bernie and Biden are running on. And, yeah, people are struggling in the country because, you know, life is often full of suffering and struggles and all this stuff. There's plenty of things you can point to. It could always be better. Uh, but I would rather live today than any other point in American history, let alone the last 50 years. Much rather live today. Yeah. And it just seems obvious to me, but that apparently doesn't win you elections. Unless, and I keep saying this, I think the crux of this election is back with James Carville. Which is, he's just... What a freaky-looking dude. You know yeah. James Carville? Yeah, Nosferatu. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> what, how did Bill Hader do him on SNL? Like, babies. <laughs> like, he's just, he is, and Carville's a brilliant man, don't get me wrong. Yeah, he's just. He's been a very successful political strategist, but he, and I believe it was Paul Begala, came up with it for the Clinton campaign. It's the economy, stupid. And I think that is what it will come down to for Trump. It's the economy, stupid. That essentially, if the economy keeps going fairly strong, here in the United States at least, maybe not globally, Trump's reelected. Never say never, but I think he's reelected. Um, now, if it goes south, if there are some these weaknesses that potentially pop up, if the Fed cutting interest rates doesn't help juice the economy more, then I think the president's in deep, deep trouble. Um, but all these early polls, like the leaked internal polls and all this stuff, like, it's so early. And also, I'm pretty sure those leaked internal polls are uh, are were commissioned by the campaign to give them the worst case scenario. Yeah. So it's like okay, we'll see. It, it, when they only pulled people from San Francisco. <laughs> well, it's. What they did, apparently, and campaigns have been doing this for years, give me the worst-case scenario. Like, give me the maximum for Democrat turnout. I want to see if it goes really bad and we lose, what's the worst possible way we lose? Those were the internal polls that were leaked. And so that's why it's showing Bernie up nine, Biden up whatever, everybody in the Democratic Party running up over the president. It's because they assumed massive Democratic turnout. Maybe that worst-case scenario happens, but I doubt it if the economy remains strong. But we'll see. We'll see. But I did hit a realization, Troy, when I was there um, up in Saratoga Springs in the midst of this journey, this emotional journey in many ways, this debauchery and revelry. Uh, I think I told my brother during my best man speech, this is the best decision you've ever made, and I meant it. But I'm starting to think, whether it's you, and I'm not trying to dig any more dirt than just saying this, or it's my friend Seth Spotlow's on this show all the time, I think not drinking at all, one of the best decisions y'all have ever made. Like I'm, And it's not like anything bad happened because I was drinking. I, at this point, I just find, it, unless I'm having a beer or two at dinner, I don't need anything more than that. I feel so much better. Yeah, just... It's mental clarity. You know what happens to me? And I wonder if people can relate to this, if you can relate to this, Troy. Like, I'll wake up feeling like a sense of dread and guilt, like I did something. And I didn't. I'll ask people, did I do anything? No. What are you talking about, man? Yeah, and it's every time. Even if I'm alone at home, and I don't do this. If I'm alone at home and I drink a bunch of bourbon, wake up like just... A sense of dread and guilt. And, like, oh, no. that's a, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. Maybe it's because alcohol is a depressant. 
It literally gets you down and depressed. It depresses your central nervous system. Yes, but it has the psychological effect all the same, akin to the same words in many ways. Not not when you first start. It uplifts people. It gets rid of ambitions, all the fun things we know about. But I do find it interesting the... uh, a culture of drinking creates certain things and certain sorts of virtues and things you want and how people talk to one another and how people behave as opposed to a culture of sobriety and straight living or, you know, a culture go out west where people do other sorts of drugs like pot and, you know, psychedelics or they get their kicks some other way. Uh, I think it, it leads to different outcomes. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but... For the longest time, our culture, and by ours, I mean like the West in general, like Western history. I'm going to take a survey class on world history in the West. It's been a drinking culture. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it, but there are some things wrong with it. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of done with it. And I say that now because I'm tired and I had that week of it, but it's the first time in ages since I've done that for that sustained amount of time. And I, I did all right. We got a lot done. But uh, <laughs> good riddance. Good riddance <laughs> to the drink. It's not worth it. Well, oh, look at this. We have to take a break. We have to take a break. And before we do, though, folks, I want to tell folks that uh, the show's brought to you in part by Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. It's good to say that. It feels good to say that. Eddie Bader is not only a great guy, down to earth guy, he keeps trying to get me to go to Jamaica. Because he had such a good time there, he didn't want to leave. But he did come back to the River Region, and, well, he became a real estate agent. A very successful, good real estate agent. He's going to help you if you're a first-time home buyer. Maybe it's not your first rodeo. He's going to be efficient. He helps people who are buying and selling, so he connect you with all the correct homes. But he also works with the Goodson Group, and this is how he became a real estate agent. He went to Bo Goodson's School of Real Estate. So if you're interested in becoming an agent yourself, you can call the Goodson Group, or you can call Eddie Bader directly, and he can hook you up uh, with Bo and the whole team over there at the Goodson Group. So buying homes, selling homes, having your real estate investment managed, so you don't have to manage the property yourself if you're renting it out. Uh, Eddie Bader and the Goodson Group are the folks to call. I'll give you Eddie Bader's Eddie Bader's number directly. Again, I'm tired, folks. Been a long, long week. 322-0662. That is the number for Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. 322-0662. Well, it feels good to be back in the saddle again. I just wish I wasn't so dog tired. And honestly, I could keep going about the wedding week, but I don't feel like, you know, crying. (laughs) Tears of joy, nonetheless. But um, life moves on. It's amazing the perspective you gain when you start to see these major life events. When uh, when you realize, oh, my little brother's all grown up. I see him as that l- newborn in my mom's arms, but now I'm seen as a 27-year-old guy in a tux who just married an amazing woman. It's moments like that that, I, that wake you up, make you happy, Make you cry tears of joy, but also sort of wake you up to life's worth it. But we'll be right back.
This was Troy's suggestion. Good choice. This band is Carpenter. Oh, it's just a DJ. Hmm? Carpenter Brut. Carpenter Brut. Or it's, I mean, I'm sure he's French, so it could be Carpenter Brut. Okay. And he does Hugo. just a cover of Maniac. This is fantastic. Well, he, he most of his stuff is like John Carpenter-esque noir yeah. pop. Yeah, well, and I guess Stranger Things really brought that sound back. Yeah. A lot of their theme sounds exactly like that old 80s sort of horror. It's good stuff. It's funny how it comes in cycles. Yeah. And by the way, one more thing I learned from the wedding weekend. I was just telling you off air at the bachelor party. Folks, you can see it on my Facebook page, the photo. Uh, at one point, we went to the Bourbon Room Bar. And my brother Will's become a bit of a bourbon connoisseur. He travels for work. He's a medical sales device uh, guy and doing pretty well in that business. And since he's on the road a lot, I mean, he gets the chance of going into all sorts of state liquor stores. And occasionally, behind the counter, they will have, like, high-quality stuff that you can sell in the secondary market. And, like, the folks he's working with all of bourbon. So it's just become a, it's become a thing for him. And, like, he's been teaching me about it. So when we're in the bourbon room bar, they, I think, have Pappy 23. He's never tried anything like that. We were actually talking earlier in the day of the bachelor party. He's never tried anything like that. And we were all of us wondering, like, is it just expensive because it's rare? Or is it expensive because it's rare and really, really good? It's because it's expensive, rare, and really, really good. Really good. Oh, my we all chipped in to get a single small glass of it. He had the will had the lion's share of it, but he let us try a small sip. And my goodness, that stuff doesn't burn. Has incredible like body and flavors to it. Woo! It ruins all other bourbon. My goodness, man, that is some great stuff. Great stuff. But I was telling you uh, off air, Troy, that. You know, a moment like that, like a wedding or so much more, uh, can remind you that, like, just being happy or just being like, oh, my desires are satisfied is so short-sighted. And I have to hand it to Will and Caroline, but I'm also going to focus on something else here in a second, a new technology that's coming in. We've talked about it a little bit, but it's getting pretty advanced and creepy. Uh, but... If you're all you're going for is just I always want to be happy, then I think, well, you shouldn't get married. And Will and Caroline's vows, they kind of recognize marriage and life isn't about just happiness. It's about, as my brother said to her, filling life with laughter as much as we can, but also in the really tough times standing by one another, using laughter to help us through that, but also um, essentially realizing that you got to stick by one another through the good times and the bad. And it's really instead of happiness being the goal, not to quibble with Thomas Jefferson too much in the pursuit of happiness, but uh, meaning and purpose in life is much, much more important. Uh, I like the idea of uh, people like Jordan Peterson, not on all the other stuff, but his idea that happiness or that meaning in life is really found right on the edge between order and chaos where you're a little bit uncomfortable but you got one foot in what you know and one foot in what you don't know and if you keep pursuing that course and it's really a feeling as well as setting clear goals for yourself it's pretty good to find it because what got me thinking on this from a different angle is there's an article out today where is it from some British rag the spectator yes 
And this author this of this article sets a scene. Okay. A romantic... I'm going to play Claire de Lune underneath it, if, if you don't mind. Or wait, no, I already got rid of that. I'll play Curb Your Enthusiasm underneath it. A romantic dinner for two, five years from now. Karen is sitting across the table from Ryan. Sipping her oaky but floral Chardonnay, she reflects on just how great life is these days. Ryan is everything she ever wanted in a man. His skin tone is exactly the color and feel she was looking for. His conversation is interesting, ranging sensitively from Tolstoy to cheeseburgers. Thanks to facial recognition, he always knows her mood. It's almost uncanny how he always he's always there to give her just the right amount of empathy, just at the right time, or even slightly earlier. He knows her likes and dislikes, her interest and her expertise. At last, she has found her intellectual equal. And the sex. Of course, it helped that Karen was able to describe her wants and needs from the very beginning, from the size to the certain activities to certain zones that she found most satisfying. No more three-minute encounters followed by the guy asking if she had enjoyed it. Now she gets to ask for what she wants. No judgments, however bizarre. Others might see her requests. For the first time in human history, satisfaction really is guaranteed. Yeah, that Mick Jagger's full of crap, man. Come on, that was my shot. It's hard out here for guys like us. But here's the thing. Who wouldn't fall in love with a smart, gorgeous, empathetic, and sexually considerate, well, man or, in our case, woman... But that is the new world, this article claims, that will soon be coming, the world of sex robots. But I think I would get, I'm really, number one, I find it, like my skin's crawling, talking about it. It's fun to make the jokes. And don't sex robots already exist? Especially for women like Karen? I thought that was the entire premise of RoboCop. (laughs) (laughs) But I think any really thinking, feeling person, like, even if you could lay out all your wants and desires in a potential partner, uh, because you laid them out, and they were programmed into somebody to your liking, it would always be in the back of your head, this isn't a relation. This is essentially a complex form of intercourse. Yeah. The qualities and characteristics of making love are so different than the qualities and characteristics of sex. Yes, and uh, as Mark Twain called it, it's self-abuse uh, of masturbation. Essentially, it's a complex form of here's a robot. Yeah. Unless these sentient beings actually can have their own personality, which is a whole other. I mean, how many movies and novels have been written about that moral conundrum? If AI actually has its own consciousness, but I I don't see that. And you know, if Karen wants it. Karen can have it, I suppose, but the article goes on. I mean, why would you, like, I mean, wait. If, if you really have a fantasy, just make a robot that looks exactly like Scarlett Johansson. Except, you know, thinks your stories are actually funny, you boring dope. Hmm. Like, I don't think it's an actually satisfying way to go about things. But then the whole idea is satisfaction, and so it gets me back to... Like that whole point about on the line of order and chaos. Like if you everything is ordered to exactly, and then I, the programmer could be like, well, we'll program it to be spontaneous, and you won't know what's next. It'll make you try new things. But still, it's like, 
it's so icky and like soulless is a word that comes to mind. Yeah, it's it's baroque. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of it's a it's a basically it's a Rube Goldberg masturbatory device. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like the dominoes falling. Yeah, yeah. Except each time that's the right spot, you know. Right. It's just. Ugh. And well, and also I don't want to be the guy who's uh, who's doing the test runs on these things. Because, I mean, think about the first, like, cell phone you had. Doesn't compare to these babies, these iPhone 10s or whatever we got now. No, that's true. That's but true. even the latest cell phone has all sorts of bugs in it and kinks in it. Wait. Yeah, I did that there. Yeah, I did that on purpose. You did bugs and kinks. Mm-hmm. I don't want that out of my sex robot. Right. Like, it's just... Uh, well... But also, I'm a. Here's where I come from, folks. I'm a pretty much freedom loving guy. It doesn't mean I have to love what you love. If you get your kicks off something I think is fairly soulless and lacking in the right energy, okay, go for it, I suppose. I'm not going to stop you. But. Certainly, there's a market for it, however. Yeah. Oh, Europe is. The brothels are already talking about they'll just be AI, it'd be robots. Interesting. Oh, do robots have to get STD checked? I don't believe so. You think they auto disinfect? Yeah, I think so. Well, well I mean, that, I mean, a, that should be part of it. A potential if, partner could uh, soil an, an well, orifice, right? But you would have to. Uh, well, there would have to be regular cleaning and maintenance and all sorts of things. Don, it's just, Don dish soap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how that works on certain things, but it just... Well, they use it to get oil off of uh, ducks and oil spills and stuff. So yeah, that's true. get rid of oil. That is true. It does get rid of oil. But it's it, it's another example of a world of like, okay, you can pursue that, but yeah. how meaningful is that? As you pointed out, there's a difference between just bare-bones intercourse and love and making love. And the passion needs to be there. The meaning needs to be there. And... Uh, I mean, I think there are plenty of people who are just kind of looking for... I mean, let's be honest. It's not always, like, the most romantic moment in the world. It can't be. And sometimes it is kind of maintenance. I'm lonely. Or it's Marvin Gaye made a hit song about it. Sexual healing. It's about the healing. It's not really about... I mean, people can engage in that. And I understand that, actually, on a personal level. But it's not the same thing as a committed relationship in many ways. It's just not. Um, though I, I always go back to, like, there's so much risk involved in committing. But again, that goes to the point of it's not about the guarantee. That's what a sex robot is. A guarantee of the good time exactly how you're seeking it. That doesn't... Uh, show me the bad part. Price? Well, it's not an actual commitment. Okay. A commitment or a... The va- it's a value thing. It's more of a contract with not the robot, but the programmer and the company who makes these damn things. Whereas a covenant is... Do you not have a favorite chef? Sure. But that's food. I'm not it, making love to my food. My friend, I have Unless it's seen, double crunch buffalo wings. I have seen you eat pizza rolls and ranch dressing. <laughs> But no, it's a covenant. It, the good stuff is a covenant. When a covenant is an ongoing relationship um, through the good and the bad, it's not the uh, the guaranteed contract delivery of goods and services rendered. Well, I mean, all of this happens over a span of time, right? Yeah. And so 
balance needs to be struck. Yes. Right? I, I, I almost feel bad for the people that find their sweethearts in high school and get married and then they stay married forever. And the only reason I feel that way mm-hmm. is because there's a small portion of empty one-night stands that they're missing out on. They needed that those depressing, like, awkward moments? And there are also joyful moments. Yeah, there. yeah there's some euphoria there, too. I wouldn't deny it. it well, okay. It's, I don't think they're missing out on much. It's a learning experience. Now, hmm. for some people to strike gold so early, bless them. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. takes a lot of courage. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> well, maybe you didn't have the right high school sweetheart. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just dredged up a memory there. I apologize. I didn't either. So we're in the same boat, and so are most people. Yeah. It's not the way the world works anymore, for better or for worse. It's not. I, I definitely I agree with you 100%. Uh, I would just like to play devil's advocate on this show from time to yeah. time. Yeah, no, and that's... And as a, as a value, I think a long-term commitment or at least finding that precipice of comfort and chaos ultimately is more rewarding than an instance or instances of momentary pleasure. Absolutely, and I think that yeah, pleasure is one thing. Um, even pleasure in a marriage and making love, as you called it, well, as it's called, not just you calling it that. Well, and the perspective um, changes over time, too, like when Will and Caroline have a kid. Mm-hmm. The quickies will become quickies, <laughs> right? Yeah. But that hour-long nap... It's great, yeah. Game changer. Yeah, the nap is, is fantastic. And I say this without that perspective, just as someone who likes to take naps. But we've debated this mar- this marriage issue on air before, and the decision I made is that it's not the like all the pleasure in life, it's having somebody there in the worst times, too. It really is. And, uh, I don't know. I'm tired, folks. I'm going home. I didn't expect to host four hours of radio today. How much time we got left? Uh, like